Good morning, church. Welcome once again to our service of worship today. A couple of weeks ago, I showed you my hockey card collection. Uh, over the years, I've managed to collect some cards that are now apparently pretty valuable. Uh, I've got a few of them here uh, to show you. Uh, according to the Beckett Hockey Card Price Guide, this Brett Hull rookie card is, is worth about $40. I was really surprised to see that. Uh, I've got this rare Cam Neely rookie card when he played for Vancouver Canucks there. That's apparently worth about $20, which I was shocked by. Uh, got some other valuable cards here, according to the guide. Uh, they got a Wayne Gretzky first year when he was in L.A., uh, pretty valuable. An early Lemieux there. Got some pretty valuable cards here. But as I told you a couple of weeks ago, these are not the most valuable cards I have. The two cards that are worth the most to me are these two right here. It's my Jonathan and Theodore Rush rookie cards right there. Look at those. Now, they're not listed in the Beckett Hockey Card Price Guide. To most people, they might not be worth that much. But to me, they are worth more than my entire hockey card collection because of who they are. Now, hockey cards aside, if you Google what person is worth the most in the world or who has the mo most net worth in the world, the name that'll come up to the top of that list is Jeff Bezos. He's the founder of Amazon. And his net worth is estimated to be $114 billion, give or take a billion. Wow. You see, the world measures worth in terms of wealth. Your level of wealth determines your worth. Now, we know that no amount of money could ever measure a person's true worth. How we spend our wealth, though, is suggestive of, of where we place our worth. What is valuable to you? What, what's worth the most to you? Well, one way you can figure that out is to look at where and how you spend, not just your money, but your time, your energy. What is it that receives most of your attention and affection? Whatever that is, that is what you deem to be worthy. Worthy, we, we talked about that word a couple of weeks ago as well. The word translated worthy is, is the Greek word axios, which means of equal weight or value. It refers to the merit or worth of something, which is the central issue of worship or worthship, as we talked about. Well, today I'm going to ask this question. How much is Jesus worth? As Christians, we, we know the Sunday school answer, don't we? And, and we'll be quick to tell you, he's worth more than anything. We sing that song, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares with you. But is that really true? Or are there things, are, are there people or pursuits in our lives that do compare, that, that we give just as much worth to, or perhaps even more than Jesus. So to make that question a little more personal, how much is Jesus worth to you? 
can we honestly declare along with the Apostle Paul in, in Philippians 3 that whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ? What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ. Well, my prayer today is that as we go through God's word in Revelation 5, that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts to see and savor the ultimate worth and worthiness of our Savior Jesus and the immeasurable gift of our salvation in him. Because my friends, there is nothing more precious or valuable, nothing worth more in all the universe than him. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. And as you're turning there, just a, a quick review. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we looked again at Revelation 4, where John is transported by the Spirit into the throne room of God Almighty in heaven. And, and there he describes in powerful images and symbols the brilliance of God's glory. He compares it to the splendor of precious gemstones reflecting rainbow-like light. He sees flashes of lightning. He hears rumblings and peals of thunder. There are four living creatures covered with eyes and six wings, along with 24 elders who are constantly bowing down in worship before the throne of God. And the focus of their worship is the holiness of God, the creator. Well, here in Revelation 5, the focus of the worship is the worthiness of Christ, our Redeemer. That is what we're going to focus in on today. If a, a screenplay were written of, of Revelation 5, uh, at verse 1, I think the camera would zoom right in on the right hand of God on his throne. In verse 1, we read, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. This scroll has been called the title deed to the universe, the scroll of history, past, present, and future. God's plan of redemption for his creation, that is to, to redeem, restore, reclaim creation. It's the destiny of the world. It's the full account of God's sovereign plan, his will to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. And we know that it's a perfect, complete plan, emphasized by the fact that the scroll was sealed with seven seals, seven being the number of perfection or completion, meaning this scroll has been perfectly sealed by its author, God Almighty. In the first century, documents were sealed not only to prevent their contents from being known, but to ensure that only the one authorized by the author could open them, which is why God holds the scroll, not with a clenched fist, but with an open palm. The verse is literally translated, then I saw on the hand of God a scroll, as opposed to in. God doesn't have to hold on to it, because the one who is truly worthy to take it can do that. He can just simply come and take it. And then John's attention shifts to this mighty angel in verse 2. And then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
John sees a mighty angel who, who speaks in this thundering voice and he puts out a challenge in the form of a rhetorical question. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? He is asking who is worthy not only to reveal God's plan of redemption, but to fulfill it, to bring it about, to complete the consummation of history. That's the question. Who is worthy? As I just mentioned, that, that word worthy is, is the Greek word axios. It means of equal value or worth. Who is equal to the task to do this? Who, who is equal to God is really the question here. And then the answer comes back in verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. You see, taking the scroll from the right hand of God on his throne implied the equal right to rule over heaven and earth. And no one, no living creature in the universe was worthy, equal to do that. <laughs> Certainly no human could do that. Why? Because all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. No angel was worthy either. Neither were the four creatures. No created being in the universe was worthy. And so... We read in verse 4, John wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John wailed loudly. That's what the word wept means here because this was devastating news. He desperately wanted to see God's kingdom come. God's perfect will be done on earth as it was in heaven. He wanted to see sin done away with. He wanted to see Satan defeated. He wanted to see Israel saved. He wanted to see Christ exalted. He wanted to see all the promises of scripture fulfilled. But just when all hope seems lost, in verse 5, one of the elders said to John, do not weep. See or look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. No angel, no creature, no elder could open the scroll and redeem the universe, but there is one who can. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is one of the earliest titles for the Messiah in the Old Testament. It's taken from Genesis 49, verses 8 to 10, where Jacob blesses Judah, calling it a lion's cub. The Messiah would be a lion, mighty, ferocious. The lion symbolized ultimate destructive power. And he's called the Root of David, which is another messianic title that comes from Isaiah 11 where we, we read, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, who was David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Verse four, with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. The Messiah would be a ferocious, conquering lion. The root of David, the righteous branch, would execute justice with destructive power, slaying the wicked. That's what every Jew expected. And that's likely what John expected to see. Through, through his tear-soaked eyes, he expected to see a mighty, roaring, triumphant lion of Judah. Instead, he saw, verse 6, a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. 
This has been called the most mind-wrenching rebirth of images in all of literature. Up until Revelation, the term lamb is only used a handful of times of Jesus. But in the book of Revelation, it's, it's a really important title. It's, it's used 28 times. Now, there are two Greek words translated lamb in the New Testament. In John 1.29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word translated lamb there in John 1.29 is the word amnos, which refers to an adult lamb. But that's not the word John uses here. Here he uses the word anion. It means little infant lamb. This is an Old Testament picture of the Passover lamb. That the head of the Jewish house had to choose a spotless little lamb without blemish to be sacrificed to God. But before they sacrificed it, they they would bring it into the home to live with the family. For four days, the little lamb would would be embraced and, and loved. And then at the Passover, it had to be slaughtered, slain. And its blood smeared on the doorframe to cover over the sins and save the people from the angel of death. And that is the symbolic picture here. John sees Jesus Christ as the true ultimate Passover lamb of sacrifice. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross as Paul writes in Philippians 2. Before Jesus returns to slay the wicked in judgment as the lion. He was slain for the wicked as the lamb, willingly, obediently laying down his perfect life because God so loved the world. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, pictured in that little lamb, shed his righteous blood as he died on the cross to save people from their sins. That that is how the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But in dying, he didn't lose. No, it was by dying that he won because the powers of hell and sin and death could not hold him down. Notice John describes the lamb looking as though it had been slain. That is past tense. It was dead, yes, but not anymore. Now the lamb is alive and standing, present perfect tense, because by the almighty power of God, Jesus Christ rose victorious from the dead. You see, even though the the lamb is little, even though it bears the, the scars of slaughter, it is not weak. The lamb has lion-like power, emphasized in in the strange and and striking physical characteristics we see here. Look at the last part of verse 6. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. In the animal world, horns were a symbol of power and combat. And again, seven, as we've seen, it's the number of perfection, completion. So seven 
Horn simply means he had perfect, complete power, strength. The lamb is almighty. He's omnipotent. He is sovereign. And it says he had seven eyes, which means perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, omniscience. He sees and knows everything. And John describes his eyes as as the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. We've seen this before. This is also translated the sevenfold spirit, referring to to the perfect Holy Spirit of God and specifically the fullness and knowledge and presence of the Holy Spirit. And notice where the Lamb is standing, in the center of the throne. Jesus Christ, the slain, risen Lamb of God, stands at the very center of creation represented by the four living creatures. He stands at the very center of redeemed humanity represented by the elders and indeed at the very center of the throne, which is where God Almighty in the splendor of his holiness sits. Wow, here we have this brilliant picture of the Trinity of the omnipotent, omniscient, holy God of the universe in three persons, Jesus, the risen lamb that was slain, standing in unison with the Holy Spirit before God the Father Almighty on his throne, which sets up the monumental moment that comes next. Verse seven, he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The lamb comes and, and takes the scroll straight out of the, the open hand of God because Jesus is equal to the task because he is the only one worthy to do it, to take the title deed to the universe in order to reclaim, restore, and redeem it and fulfill God's plan. Verse 8, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Amen. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down and worship before the lamb. Why? Because that is the only reasonable thing to do. Because they know that Jesus Christ alone is worthy. Because he is God. That the creatures and elders give the very same worship that is worth ship to Christ the Lamb that they give to God in chapter 4. They fall on their faces in reverence, in humility, in surrender, in awe and wonder. And they sing this new song. You are worthy to take this scroll and open its seals because you were slain. Notice the focus of Jesus' worthiness here. The lamb is worthy not because he created us, though he did. Not because he rose from the dead, though he did. But because he was slain. Because he died. Jesus shed his blood to purchase men and women, boys and girls, not just from Israel, but from the entire world people from every tribe and language and nation he has bought and redeemed by his blood and has made them into a kingdom and priests to serve our God and reign with him. (laughs) And then this concert of worship grows louder and stronger and greater. Look at verse 11. Then 
I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Verse 12, in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now, I mentioned earlier, um, the world thinks of worth strictly in terms of wealth. Well, wealth is included here, but the angels and creatures and elders equate the worth of Christ, not just to wealth, but to the highest virtues and measure possible. Look at this. They ascribe to Jesus power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. How many is that? Seven. The number of perfection referring to the perfect, complete, ultimate worth of Jesus Christ that he alone is due because he alone is worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our all. Now, I'm not good at math, but I'm told that 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. 100 million angels join in this incredible song but we still haven't reached the crescendo yet. Look at verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the glorious fulfillment of Philippians 2 that that I was reading from just a moment ago. Verse 8, Philippians 2. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, a day is coming when every person will bow their knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a day coming when when everything and everyone who has ever lived will give praise and honor and glory and power to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb that is Jesus Christ. Today, we can do that by choice because God in His grace is still offering forgiveness to anyone who will repent that is, turn away from their sins and believe in his son, Jesus. They will be saved, redeemed, forgiven by the blood of the lamb. If you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, believe on him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But for those who do not, for those who deny Jesus and refuse God's offer of salvation, they will ultimately face the fury and judgment of the lion and and have no choice but to confess Jesus is Lord. But they'll do that from under the earth in hell with with indescribable regret and and with the utmost torment that our sin deserves. That's where they will realize and, and make that desperate declaration of the ultimate worthiness of the Lamb. 
I'll ask the question I asked earlier once again. How much is Jesus worth to you? Where does he rank on the scale of of your affections and priorities and pursuits? If he is worth more than anything to you, is that apparent in how you spend your money, your time, your energy? Is it apparent in, in how you speak and act and think? Is it apparent to everyone in your life that Jesus Christ is worth more to you than than anyone or anything else? Revelation 5 is a powerful reminder of the immeasurable and undeniable worthiness of Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain. That there is nothing, no one of greater worth in all the universe. He alone is equal. He alone is able. He alone is worthy to take the scroll and reclaim the universe and redeem God's creation. For those of us who are Christians, we know and believe that one day we will see the full glory of the resurrected Christ, the lamb that was slain for our sins. That's what our redemption from sin costs, my friends. That that is what it is worth, the life, death, and sacrifice of God in the flesh, the precious lamb. And may that cause us to tremble, but not just to tremble, to treasure to savor our Savior like never before, that we would know his ultimate worth in our hearts and that we would show his ultimate worth through our lives, that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we would do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks and praise to God the Father through him. Colossians three sixteen and 17. Because more than anything, This world needs to know Jesus' ultimate worth, my friends. They need to know why he is so precious to you. They need to know what he has done for them. So may Jesus' worthiness compel our witness and our worship. May it compel us to to fall down in worship before him, joining the song of the hundreds of millions of angels along with all of creation and proclaiming, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for Of our bonds of peace.
to express and extol the infinite worth of the Lamb of God by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Before we proceed with communion today, let's just bow our heads in a prayer of confession. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come and we confess that our sin runs deep that we have sinned against you. We, we have not given you the worth that you are due, Lord. We've fallen short of your glory. We are a people of unclean lips, unclean hands, and unclean hearts. 
guilty of pride, unbelief, self-centeredness, idolatry, and immorality of all kinds. If you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, who could stand? How shall we answer you? We have no answer on our own. But, Father, you have mercifully provided one for us, Jesus Christ, your perfect Son, the Lamb slain for the sin of the world. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out our transgressions, wash away all our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In obedience of Jesus' command, we are now going to participate in the Lord's Supper. In his body that was given, represented by the bread, we will partake. And in his blood that was shed for our sin on the cross, represented by the the juice that we will drink together in a moment. So I would invite you to now get these elements ready at home, and then we will proceed with the words of institution. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus who have repented of their sins and are following him in newness of life by the Spirit may come and partake. It's not our table, but the table of our Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I would now encourage you at home to return a prayer, either aloud or in the quietness of your heart, thanking God for the bread, symbolizing the body of Jesus given for us. Let's pray. Together, let us eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us and be thankful. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Once again, I would ask everyone participating at home to say a prayer of thanks for the cup symbolizing Jesus' blood that was shed for our sins. Let's pray. Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for you and be thankful.
majesty worship his majesty unto Jesus be all glory honor and praise majesty kingdom authority flows from his throne to his own his anthems raise so exalt lift up on high the name of Jesus magnify come glorify Christ Jesus the His majesty, Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings, majesty, worship His majesty. glory, honor, and praise, majesty, kingdom authority, flows from his throne unto his own, his anthem reigns, so up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship His majesty. Who died now glorified King of all kings? Jesus, who died now glorified King of all kings? Jesus, who died now glorified King of all kings. Now receive the Lord's blessing from Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. God bless.